Amen. The seventh and final word for today, for that occasion, it is finished. What is finished? Let's pray. Father, we understand, at least in part, that our very lives and our eternity hang on what happened on that cross. What Jesus did there matters. And again, we just ask by your Spirit that you would graciously open our eyes and our hearts to what you are accomplishing on our behalf. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of important things for us to understand getting to this culmination. We've heard great uh, pictures that helped us understand the agony, the suffering, the physical nature, the spiritual warfare. It's important to understand that all along, Christ set out to be the suffering Savior. He headed for that cross from heaven. John 3, already in his ministry, says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Later, John 12, he says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So that was totally the direction of Christ's life and ministry. We also have to understand Jesus was no victim on a cross. It was so clear in all the handling of his trials and the interaction with people, even the soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus was in charge. And this was one of the things that was so pleasing to the Father. John 10, he says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This suffering we're talking about is so horrible. As has been mentioned, the Roman process for crucifixion, so physical in nature, designed for suffering, designed for humiliation, and an excruciating, lengthy process. This was also an emotionally uh, humiliating and difficult time for Christ. His friends left him. Those in leadership mocked him. People spat upon him. They humiliated him in every way they could as he was on that cross. And as Robbie brought for us, it was a time of the biggest battle happening in the spiritual arena. Bearing the wrath of God. This one that he had loved and enjoyed fellowship with throughout all eternity. The very definition of the Trinity is a picture of community. And Jesus was willing, agreed, not wanting, but willing to have that broken because of what he wanted to accomplish for us on the cross. So he was guiding himself towards the cross. He understood the cross. He was committed to the cross. But what did he finish on the cross? I want to point out a couple of really important things. Obviously, at the heart of this was our redemption is finished on the cross. 
Hebrews 9, 12, and actually the whole book of Hebrews makes a great argument about this, but this verse in particular says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus knew just what we shared last night at that last supper with his disciples. This is the cup of my blood of the new covenant. This is what it takes. All those lambs were only a picture of this. I am the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. And there is no other way for that sin to be removed than through the blood, the sacrificial blood. And that was uh, significant enough. If we said no more, there's nothing that needs to be said. That when he said, it is finished, our redemption, the purchase price for us to be released from our slavery and delivered to the kingdom of God was accomplished on that day. There are some other aspects, though, to that expression, it is finished. As horrible as his physical suffering was, it was just a culmination of all the humiliation he bore in joining us in the human race from his humble birth from the confusion with his parents and the sojourn in Egypt and all the things he experienced, the difficulty of his ministry, just being a vagabond, basically, traveling from place to place, having people ridicule him, people uh, get in his face and deny him the very claims that he made by his words and his action. That was his whole life, frankly, to bear this humiliation. As the creator and sustainer of the universe, the ones whose very words spoke everything into existence. And he bore all that. But on the cross, when he got to the place where he said, it is finished, his humiliation was finished as well. He was returning to be with his father. He was returning to his full statement as the very son of God. Mind you, never again to leave being fully human and connected to us, part of us. An amazing thing. But the suffering was finished that day. The verse that was already shared from Philippians. He was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. Well, something else was finished that day, at least in a very significant part. His mockers were finished. There will be people that will continue to mock us and the body of Christ and the church of Christ, but no one's going to mock Jesus to his face again since that day. And the next time Jesus shows up, they will not be mocking him, friends. Believe me. Mocking is over. It is finished. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Can you imagine these sinners looking up to the creator and sustainer of the universe, hanging on the cross and say, yeah, if you're really king, save yourself. And he stayed on the cross to save us. He could have saved himself at any time. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. So they mocked. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And they mocked. And he stayed on the cross until it was finished. The mocking will pass. Unbelievable. 
Well, this was a cosmic battle gang. What was going on on the cross makes Armageddon seem like Little League. The battle of the universe and of the ages was fought on the cross. Even Satan is finished on the cross. He's already said, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan and his conniving and manipulation from the Garden of Eden until the temptations of Jesus when he was in the desert and the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane, all along Satan is battling. And Satan, who knows what he was thinking that night when he was wrestling to get Jesus arrested? Who knows what he was thinking when Jesus was hanging on the cross? It seems to us he thought like the Jewish leaders and the mockers thought, we win, I win, I've got just what I wanted. He had no idea that when Jesus said, it is finished. He was finished. That's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. It's amazing. And it's eternal. Well, there's another thing that's finished. And these are no small things. You get the size of this cosmic event. The curse is finished. What happened back in the Garden of Eden and what humanity has known, nothing but the effects of the curse, living by the sweat of our brow, having so much difficulty working together and living together. I appreciated Ted's word about it's supernatural for us to love one another. It's a work of God because the curse causes us to be so self-inflicted of our own uh, importance and of our own concerns and fears that we just devour and feed on one another. But that Every aspect of the curse, the sickness, the separation, the pain was finished. Colossians 1 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Fully God, fully man, hanging on the cross. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So how in the world is God going to restore his whole creation and wipe away every aspect of the curse? He did it through the blood of Christ on the cross. And so every aspect of the curse is finished. And then this one is really uh, an amazing thing as well. When Jesus died on the cross, you remember... Just uh, before then, when there was a very, very expensive veil of perfume, a sealed veil that was broken, and all that perfume, that oiled perfume, was spilled on his head. And some wonder, did those present think that he was being anointed to be king? Because only a few days before that, he came into Jerusalem on a donkey, and they're putting their palms down, they're celebrating his victory, and they're putting their cloaks down, claiming him to be king. And so there's all that mystery. Is he the king or isn't he? And the Jews are mocking him. And Pilate says, put that sign up on that cross. Jesus, king of the Jews. And so the question is, is he? And what is it about that perfume that's so critical? And why does he have to die? The disciples believed he was the king. They weren't mocking him. They understood he was the Messiah, the sent one from God. But why does he have to die? They did not understand that until it was done. But... On the cross, when Jesus, the man, and God himself was there as our substitute and paid that price and allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be spilt, you know what happened? The most precious thing in the universe was broken. And in the breaking of the most precious thing in the universe, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our friend, our elder brother, 
our creator and sustainer. That one was broken. And when he was broken, the oil was poured out. And his spirit came forth. And the spirit of the living Christ is in this place today. Because that veil was broken. That container that had contained his spirit was broken. And now he said, I know this really bothers you disciples. It's going to be better that this happens because I'm going to be with you wherever you go. You can't go anywhere where my spirit won't be with you. Trust me on this. They were frightened. They were confused. But when Jesus said, it is finished, he understood there was going to be this new dynamic of his relationship with us through his released spirit, released by that death that day. So we might say, well, if all this happened and all that was accomplished, why do I still suffer? And why is our world confused? And why are there people, many people, denying that Jesus even went to the cross or that he really did come back from the grave or that it means anything? Where's all the mocking even today? And I want to close with this illustration or help you to just kind of engage on this whole concept of what happened on the cross. Because you see, Let's think of it like purchasing a house. There's a couple of ways to purchase a house. And one way is to find a house that's already existing. Someone else has lived in it. There's things you like, but there's things you don't like. There's things that need fixing. There's things that are new and good. And you can actually go through all the process of negotiation, sit down, write the big check, sign the contracts, take the keys for that house, and immediately move in. That's one way to get a house. That's one way to have that major purchase executed. But there's another way to get a house. And that way is to decide to get with the engineers and the architects and everybody that matters, that knows what really is good, and to design a new house. And say, we don't want something old. We want something brand new. We're going to take this thing and we're not just going to patch up a few things we're going for the brand new model and it's going to be costly and it's going to take time and it's going to be a process but after all of that is arranged and all the legal discussions happen and everything transpires there's still a meeting for the close and at that meeting you have all the players the builders and the real estate people and the lawyers if the scale is big enough for them to want to be involved and somebody sits down at that meeting and writes a big check And after that big check is written, the building begins. And the house isn't ready for occupation for some time. And in essence, when Jesus wrote the big check on the cross, he was basically designing and committing to build his house. And he said, you know what? I'm going to build my church. Nobody is going to stand against me. Nobody can stop it. I paid the price, I have ownership of it, and there isn't anybody anywhere that can stand against me in building my house. But it is true, it's not done yet. It is in process. We are in process. We are the church of the living Savior. And so when he said on that cross, it is finished. He meant the deal was sealed. There was no question anywhere in the universe remaining, certainly not in the heavenly places, that it was going to come to full completion just as God had desired. He was going to continue to complete every one of his promises. So where does that leave you and I with the skepticism that might be in our hearts? My desire is that we will cling in a fresh way to the cross. Sometimes when you've got a building project going on, It just seems like you keep bending nails. 
Sometimes it seems like you thought that was going to look that way, but you get it up, it doesn't quite look that way, and you're trying to make adjustments and go back and look at the drawing again. What was this house supposed to look like anyway? Where was that window supposed to go? And that's the process we're in right now. We don't see the completed phase. But for your own encouragement, I encourage you to go back and look at the contract and realize Jesus has paid the full price. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. He's going to finish his house. He is going to come back and live with us in his house. And we are the house. And he is at work in us. It's amazing, really. It's astounding. It is the most earth-shattering thing that's ever happened. The mockers that day, I think they probably were thinking, after they had mocked like they did, that if he had any last word besides just dying quietly, that he might have said, quietly, I am finished. You guys win. I'm finished. But boy, were they wrong. They totally missed it. What he did say was, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, the veil was torn in that temple. And the presence of God and the ability for people to fellowship directly with God was opened up to us because of his work on the cross. Whenever he said it is finished, an earthquake happened there. The whole earth was hemorrhaging, was the most powerful thing that had ever transpired in all of creation, when the very Son of God paid the price for our sins and completed that work on the cross and said, it is finished. It was a cosmic deal. It was uh, the turning point in every one of our histories who understands what Christ was doing for us there on that cross. And I trust that just as it's a big thing for the church, it's the biggest day in our calendar year, I trust and I pray that it's the biggest calendar event in your year understanding what jesus did for you and for me on the cross let's pray dear lord jesus christ we praise you that upon the cross you conquered the powers of sin and death we are forever in your debt you who paid our debt in full and so release us from all obligation and penalty for the sins we have committed. By faith and the confirmation of your spirit upon us, we claim with you that it is finished and the debt is paid in full. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for so great a victory. Amen.